Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. At the beginning of this month, the Eugene City Council voted to repeal a measure that, with voter approval, would have banned hookups for the methane-based fossil fuel known as natural gas in new low-rise residential buildings. Eugene's ban would have been the first of its kind in Oregon. It was modeled on Berkeley, California's first-in-the-nation ordinance. This spring, judges on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals found that Berkeley's ordinance goes against federal law. That forced members of the Eugene City Council to backtrack. They say they'll now focus on other ways to reduce carbon emissions. We're going to get two perspectives on this now. Emily Semple introduced the gas hookup ban as a member of the Eugene City Council. Amy Turner is a director of the city's climate law initiative at Columbia Law School. She's written about the Ninth Circuit's ruling and what it means for the regulation of natural gas going forward. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. So, Emily Semple, first, why did you decide to introduce this ban in the first place? We have a climate action plan, and it's really difficult to keep up with our goals. We're not reaching them. So we we want to start with the, the simplest low-hanging fruit. Uh, decarbonization is, is really important for our goals. And aside from the big one, transportation, energy use uh, in, in buildings is, an, is the second biggest source. So um, how to do that? You can't do it all at once. We never plan to take away people's gas. But Starting with residential, if we require um, non-fossil fuel appliances, uh, that will get us towards our goals by reducing some greenhouse gas emissions. And so the council passed a ban back in February. I imagine you were expecting pushback from the gas industry, but were you expecting it to be so effective so quickly. Northwest Natural spent a million dollars to successfully refer the ban to voters. We expected pushback. We did not expect uh, what we got. We did not expect that kind of investment in the opposition. It really tilted things. It it was, there's not enough time to, to educate people and show them how this would help before they were full on fighting it. Um, they, some of their signature gathers did say that the council had, was banning gas, which is not true. This was relatively small amount of greenhouse gas emissions, but every little bit helps. In other words, Uh, you think there was a misunderstanding. Some people thought that if they had existing natural gas hookups and say gas ranges or gas furnaces, they thought that those would be taken away as opposed to just a a part of new residential construction not having the opportunity to put gas in to begin with. Um, That's correct. Although the gas company officially was not saying they were, you know, we were banning all gas. That was a misconception. But it certainly um, gave more energy to the opposition to the ban. And it, it took on energy of its own. And uh, they got it on the ballot really fast. It was very impressive, but 
they had a million dollars and a lot of help. So that was a a defeat of a kind in March. And then a a month later, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said that Berkeley's law, which served as a model for yours, is preempted by a federal law. What, What went through your mind when you heard that? Well, that was certainly disappointing. We do think that we have the right to regulate those utilities, um, but it certainly puts things on pause. And also in light of the huge opposition, we felt it would it would give us an opportunity for more outreach and education and to calm people's fears. Um, so this isn't ended but we're not going to work on it right now. Another problem was once it got on the ballot, it prevented staff from working on any decarbonization plans. So that that pause is, was putting us backwards. And so we, that was a, a benefit of waiting. But yeah, we, we were surprised. Well, Emily Temple, I, I want to hear more about your plans going forward. But as I noted, Amy Turner is with us, the director of the city's climate law initiative at, Cl- at Columbia Law School, who's written about this. Uh, Amy, the Ninth Circuit said that Berkeley's gas ban was preempted by a federal law known as the U.S. Energy Policy and Conservation Act. It's a big, long law. But but what does the federal law say that's most important for, for for our conversation today? Sure. Well, the federal law, uh, which we refer, refer to as EPCA for short, sets uh, energy conservation and energy f- efficiency standards for many common building appliances, all of the big ones, furnaces, air conditioners, uh, HVAC units, uh, clothes dryers, those, those sorts of things. Um, and so the federal law sets these uniform energy efficiency standards for these appliances and says expressly that states and local governments may not set uh, more stringent energy efficiency standards for those appliances. And the idea behind EPCA or this portion of EPCA is really to ensure that uh, manufacturers have uh, uniform standards across the market, that they're not trying to figure out 50 different standards across 50 different states for their products. Um, and, and you know, what the, the Ninth Circuit did here was to take a vastly broader reading of EPCA preemption than courts have really ever taken before. Right. So, um, I mean, the, as I understand, so the law says the federal government, not states, can say this is how efficiently a dishwasher or a furnace has to run. But Berkeley wasn't saying we, we if you buy a, a, a range – in Berkeley, if you if you want to use one, it has to be this efficient. They were saying, if you build new construction of, of certain kinds, you can't have a natural gas hookup. So, h- what was the court's argument for how that went against this federal law? So the court's the the, the court's decision, uh, its reasoning is a bit convoluted and it's it's wrongheaded in my opinion. But what they essentially were saying was that any local law that impacted the end uh, users. Uh, access to energy, the end energy, the, sorry, the end user of an appliance's access to energy uh, was caught in the crosshairs of EPCA and could be preempted. So in this case, if you bought, um, if, if you bought a gas powered clothes dryer, for example, and tried to install it in your new house in Berkeley that didn't have access to gas, you would be able to access zero energy. 
Um, and, and that that effectively amounted to a standard that was more stringent than the EPCA standard that did allow you to access energy. It's, it's quite a convoluted reasoning, um, but basically the, the, the court's reasoning um, says that local requirements that interfere with that end use of energy could be preempted by EPCA. That's far broader than anything we've ever seen from the courts before. Oh, so th- this was an unprecedented um, understanding, interpretation of this existing federal law. Yes. Berkeley has asked a larger panel of judges from the Ninth Circuit, and I, uh, I probably, many of our listeners probably remember this, that, that the Oregon is a part of the Ninth Circuit. But Berkeley has asked a larger panel from this Ninth Circuit to look at the case, uh, sort of the, the next step of appeal. How likely is that? Well, if you look at the numbers, it's it's extremely unlikely. The Ninth Circuit takes on the order of four percent of of cases for rehearing that it's that it's asked to rehear. Um, however, I think this is a particularly novel case. Uh, as you said, this is an unprecedented ruling. Um, it gets at issues that are really, you know, um, r- really being worked through in communities across the Ninth Circuit. And so, um, you know, the, the Ninth Circuit may find this case to be a, a particularly appealing one to rehear. But the short answer is we don't know. Um, but uh, there are some some aspects to this case that would make it an interesting one for rehearing. When you say that this case gets to issues that are um, being talked about or, or really at issue in other jurisdictions within the Ninth Circuit's geography, how many cities or counties or municipalities have adopted laws that are basically using the same mechanism to do the same thing that Berkeley did? So there are uh, about two dozen communities that have adopted the same formulation as Berkeley. However, there are many more that are thinking about it, like Eugene. And this is really just going to um, cause a lot of hesitation among communities that are perhaps a little further back in the process than Berkeley was um, in in even pursuing this sort of option. So, you know, officially a couple dozen, but there are many, many more who who would be considering it. I just want to remind folks, we're talking right now about the decision by the Eugene City Council to no longer push for a ban on natural gas hookups in new low-rise residential construction. It follows a ruling this spring by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. We're talking with Emily Semple, who is a member of the Eugene City Council, and and Amy Turner, director of the City's Climate Law Initiative at Columbia Law School. Am I right, Amy Turner, that Berkeley has already pursued a a different way towards the same goal? Yes. So there are are a few different policy mechanisms that local governments can pursue to advance this goal of electrifying new buildings or of building new buildings without uh, connecting to to natural gas or other fossil fuels. Another way to do it is to put it into uh, a building code. So to effectively require or strongly incentivize that new buildings be built to an all-electric standard. If the building is all-electric and everything inside of the building is all-electric, there is no need to connect it to a gas line. Hmm. Um, Emily Semple, am I right that that option is not available to cities in Oregon? Um, No, I don't think it is. So where does that leave you? I mean, you've said that that you're not done with this, um, but the the obvious avenues for just this, this particular path of 
of electrifying new construction, um, they seem closed to you. You mentioned now this gives you a chance for outreach and education and also a chance to calm people's fears. But policy-wise, what might come next? Well, we are going to wait to see what happens with the Berkeley case. Um, our our first thing is going to be more community conversation, as, as you mentioned, because what we can do does depend on what the community will accept. So we want to know what they know now, how we can fill in the blanks. And uh, then the other big part is how are we going to pay for these changes? So we're waiting to see uh, money from the feds through the uh, IRA and working to ensure that money comes to Eugene, which we then can leverage for more money because how much we can do always depends on money. Um, also working on energy efficient and converse, con conservation, uh, looking for incentives for people to to switch for, to electric, even if it's an older building, um, encourage uh, develop of more renewable energy sources. We are now getting methane from our wastewater, and we have a, a large food composting program. Um, and, you know, we still need to work on other greenhouse gas uh, reductions. Transportation is the biggest one. So uh, it's it's a progress. We have other uh, measures we're going to try to use to reduce greenhouse gases. Electrification is is only one part of it. Amy Turner, the Ninth Circuit's ruling it it, it really pertains to the West Coast to uh, states on the West Coast, but. Electrification efforts in various ways are happening uh, all across the country, especially on on the two coasts of the country. What do you see as the the, the big future legal questions um, that are going to be before courts, maybe the highest court in the coming years? Well, certainly the Ninth Circuit has uh, the Ninth Circuit decision has given rise to some uncertainty, even among uh, among policymakers that are not located in the Ninth Circuit, asking questions like, "What if courts in my jurisdiction adopt the reasoning of the Ninth Circuit?" So that's one. Um, a lot of this comes down to, to questions of state law. So you and Emily, you know, alluded to earlier that uh, communities in Oregon have less authority than communities in places like California uh, to amend their their building energy codes to include electrification provisions. And so that's really something that goes state by state. And I think we're going to see a lot of questions playing out uh, either in state courts or just, um, you know, uh, policymakers trying to understand how their state law applies and what policy and legal mechanisms will be available to them. One of the the challenges here is that every local government uh, is is subject to a different uh, state law framework, um, and so what's done in Berkeley cannot necessarily be exported to uh, to Eugene. Amy Turner and Emily Semple, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Amy Turner is the director of the city's climate law initiative at Columbia Law School. Emily Semple is a member of the Eugene City Council. Tomorrow on the show, the University of Oregon is a hub for trans-species design, which aims to create habitat in the built environment for all species. The goal of the movement is to combat biodiversity decline and lessen the impacts of climate change. 
Our production staff includes Elizabeth Castillo, Roli Hernandez, Gemma DiCarlo, senior producer Allison Frost, and managing producer Shiraz Sadiq. Nalene Silva engineers the show. Our technical director is Stephen Cray, and our executive producer is Sage Van Wing. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on the NPR One app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great day. Think Out Loud is supported by Stephen Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Ray and Marilyn Johnson, and the Susan Hammer Fund of the Oregon Community Foundation. to think out loud because you love learning about what's happening in our region, you'll love listening to The Evergreen. This weekly podcast paints an audio portrait of the Pacific Northwest through the stories of the people who live here. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.